It's time for scripture. Thank you very much. That was very good. It's time for some scripture. We are in the book of Galatians. And uh, you have the scripture there for you on, uh, on page 10. Anya, thank you for reading. You did a nice job. Um, I want to also share with you that in the foyer of the church, we have a little handout called Martin Luther's Introduction to the Book of Galatians. So he wrote a commentary, uh, and I would encourage you to grab this and uh, have, a, have this along with you for the study. This is an excellent summary uh, of, of what the Book of Galatians is about, and so I just encourage you to, uh, to read our old brother Martin Luther from many, many years ago, our old friend. This last, uh, last couple of weeks also with Trinity Christian School, we, we gave out as the parents gathered for orientation night, uh, we gave them a kind of a gospel treat bag. And uh, so it's from Trinity Church and it includes a little booklet called What is Justification by Faith Alone? And uh, a well-written little booklet uh, obviously covering um, the gospel uh, and the gospel for our parents to help, help encourage them. So. Um, be, be praying that that will be uh, read by the parents and that it will make a big difference in their, in their grasp and understanding of the gospel, uh, which is something I certainly need on a daily basis. So um, let me open in prayer and pray for the word this morning, and then uh, we will hear the message, and then we'll have the Lord's Supper together. So let's, let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for uh, the possible work that you can do this morning. Um, Father, it's a bit of a mystery how we cooperate with you. Um, You are sovereign, but uh, as believers, um, there are attitudes of the heart that we can maintain, and I ask, Lord, that we would uh, be before you uh, very teachable and discovering just how this passage connects with us. Um, I can provide a few applications, but you, by your Spirit, can do the great and most important work. So uh, we pray, Lord, that you'll do that, and that your gospel will become more vivid and more, um, um, just more dynamic and more more, uh, beautiful as a result of this morning. Um, Help me, Lord, Help me, for I don't uh, know how to speak. I, I need you to train my lips to communicate. And I pray that you would give us all a great teachability. Uh, in Christ's name I pray, amen. Um, I've been doing this a while, uh, this church-type work, for a while. I, I usually leave how long it's been kind of as a vague idea, you know. It's kind of vague. What does he mean by that? I don't know. It's kind of vague. So um, when I first got started, I was in a, a little uh, town in Northern California, and uh, I was a youth guy. And so uh, they had uh, a platform like we have in the church, and uh, every once in a while, uh, you have to sort of include the youth guy up front, you know. Some of the pastoral staff are really nervous on that morning, like what might happen. Uh, so this was my first big morning on the platform. And so uh, I 
for my standards, I dressed up. Uh, I wore a tie. Um, I think I had to run over to Kmart and get one. Uh, and then I, I wore a sweater. And it was cold, by the way. It was cold. So practical, practically speaking, I was wearing a sweater for those reasons. And so this was my big moment on the platform. And, of course, the teenagers are excited. They get to see the youth pastor up there. And, uh, well, we meet before the service. And um, uh, I'm not wearing a suit. And this is a problem um, because in Ephesians, I'm oh, sorry, just, just, a little, just a little moment there. So um, they wrestled right in front of me. I was like, right in front of me, they were trying to figure out whether or not it was appropriate for me to be on the platform with, without a suit on. So I'm sorry, I didn't make the cut. <laughs> So I, uh, I think I was going to read scripture or pray, so well, I didn't make the cut. So I went and got a suit, and I became acceptable. Um, not strike you as odd a little bit? I have had a long journey in American evangelicalism, and um, I want to make it really, really clear that as we do this, as we hammer away at self-righteousness, as we hammer away at legalisms, and we carping, we're carping about this and that, and I'll make little comments about this or that. Uh, I really want you to know that we have our own legalisms in our church, I'm sure. I'd love to hear from you if we have them, and you can point them out. I'm, I'm sure we are not. I'm not at all trying to portray us as uh, the only only pure church. Um, that's the OPC, by the way. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> just let you know. Some people call it the old people's church, but that's... I think only pure church is actually what... Anyway, so um, uh, the OPC brothers are very dear dear to me. So, um, But I experienced a lot of legalism in my first church. I, I survived there six years, which was... I actually outlasted a number of senior pastors, which was strange. No one could understand how the youth guy could hang in there so long. Um, I uh, saw the first Star Wars movie... Uh, in Southern Cal, and then when I got home to Northern Cal, my church job, and now, again, chronologically speaking, some of you know exactly, this is like the fourth, fourth film of the whatever millennium and all that. I don't know that stuff, but it was the first show, um, and I wanted to take the associate pastor that I worked directly with, his name was Ernie Rogalski, Wonderful man, wonderful, wonderful man. He put up with me, he corrected me, he taught me so many important things. And I took Ernie to go see, now, I mean, I don't know when the last time Ernie went to the movies, I'll just tell you that. So I took Ernie Rogowski to see Star Wars. And this is the time when you, you wrapped around the theater. I mean, you know what I'm saying? The crowds were like that. And so, um, and of course, he, he, you know, he enjoyed it and, uh, well, I would come to know later, a couple of weeks later, that someone who was going to the shopping center nearby saw Ernie in line for the movie. And uh, they gave him the what for, as a pastor, don't you have anything better to do with your time? And uh, so... Um, I always just thought these were kind of odd comments. I just thought these were kind of, you know, that person has a problem or whatever that is. But 
the longer I have been among Christians, um, I want to say something that's really, if I haven't rocked your world yet, um, I want to say this. Non-Christians are easier to hang around with. And um, I get anxious when I'm with Christians. Because, uh, I don't know, I might go see the next Star Wars movie in December and someone might have a concern about that. I get anxious around Christians. Um, And uh, you can pray for me. Maybe you're not quite in the right job, my friend. Um, But I have hung in there, and uh, at times um, I have had my own legalisms exposed to me. Um, I think every argument I've had with Marianne has been around some legalism where she is not acting the way I uh, think she should or doing what I think she should. There's a little thing in our legalisms. It's very interesting. Uh, When you break one of my rules then I'm free not to love you. Watch, how, watch, how, watch that in your interactions in the kitchen. When you break one of your spouse's rules, you're, you're free not to love them anymore. And you can tell in your tone. Okay, so this Galatians passage is, again, one of these overlooked places. There's a lot of famous Bible verses in Galatians. Uh, very rarely do they come from Galatians 2, 1 through 10. This is probably one of the more profound sections in the whole book, it's probably worth uh, two or three sermons, but um, we'll, we'll camp here for a while. The Jews had their ceremonial laws. If you're familiar with that, there were three kinds of laws, the moral, ceremonial, and civil. Those are three kinds of laws. Don't worry about those distinctions so much, but the, the unclean, uh, the, the issues that made a person unclean before God were highlighted by the ceremonial laws. So when you're reading in the book of Leviticus, you're going to be reading a lot about uh, the ceremonial laws. There are 600, and you have the, the Ten Commandments, uh, and if, but there's actually 613 commandments. So go at it. Go for it. All right, so, so the, the ceremonial laws kept the Jews culturally distinct. So these ceremonial laws helped them as a people to be distinct uh, in the midst of uh, idolatrous cultures, okay? Uh, and, and so it gave them a distinct way of living. So their food, their dress, their daily practices. And um, the ceremonial law, again, uh, functioned as a, with a cultural purpose. It gave boundary markers for the Jews uh, ethnically and culturally. And then secondly, the ceremonial laws highlighted uh, a demonstration of how God is holy. So you can't come into God's presence until you wash your hands, uh, provide some, some sort of offering. You, you, you in and of yourself are not clean, so you must do some ritual that symbolically represents your becoming clean, as it were, right? Okay, so it, was a, it had a didactic purpose. So the ceremonial laws were always pressing in upon people. You, you're not enough. You're not clean, okay? So this passage really is the two, two points of this passage uh, a sermon in a sentence, kind of a long sentence, but here it is, is that without added to our faith, we are fully accepted in Christ, comma, and since this is so, we should without anything 
added to faith in Christ except others. That's it. So as we interact with other people, this is really kind of the main gist of what's going on here in the passage. In the interaction with other people, there is a tendency to add that this makes you acceptable. I only can have fellowship with people like this. The platform in the church has to look a certain way in order for unity to be actually happening in the church or something like that. Okay, so so we sh- without adding anything to faith in Christ, listen carefully, without adding anything to faith in Christ, we are to accept others fully. Now, there's only one gospel. There's only one gospel, and it is unchangeable. And to change the gospel is to seriously mess with people's conscience. It is not funny. To add legalisms is to burden people's conscience. We are not allowed to burden people where Christ has set them free. So, this is always important for the church. So, Galatians 2, 1 through 2, let's read this. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation, so God specially directed Paul to do this, and set before them, now these are the leaders in Jerusalem, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. So this is Paul. He's in Jerusalem. He's with the influential leaders in Jerusalem, and he tells them, he presents to them the gospel in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So uh, I have been preaching this gospel We are now dealing with false teachers who've come in and said it's Jesus plus adherence to the law. I have not been teaching that. I've been teaching the gospel is by faith alone a person is justified. And I want to make sure the work I've been doing has not been in vain if you demonstrate to me some other kind of gospel. So Paul is concerned that the gospel could be even tainted here in in Jerusalem. And so Galatians 2 is a summary of the unity that exists in the church through the one gospel. What's being threatened by the false teachers is unity in the church. And what Paul is doing by setting up this story, going 14 years later, he went into Jerusalem, he's setting up the story to say, watch how they respond to my gospel, and watch what happens as we interact about the gospel, and true unity exists between the Jerusalem leaders and me. There's one gospel. So, Paul was being criticized and attacked for he was preaching a gospel of easy believism. It leads to too much permissiveness. By the way, when you hear the true gospel of faith alone with no added effort on your part, it's kind of, it feels kind of like, uh, really? Kinda, it kind of feels like you can't, 
You can't tell people that. You can't say that. They'll just go off and do crazy, they'll go into, off into immorality. Well, it would be like having your bank forgive you of a million dollar debt. How would you think about that bank? Would you love that bank? Would you go spontaneously and clean graffiti off the wall for that bank without anyone telling you? I think you would. What would be your obedience to doing good things toward that bank? Out of gratitude! And if you can see how big your debt is, think of parable after parable after parable of Jesus. If you can think about how big your debt is, and then you realize that you're forgiven, you'll have plenty, plenty of motivation to walk the straight line. And no amount of human rules will ever, ever motivate you to walk that straight line from the heart. You might do it for, to please the senior pastor out of fear, but from the heart, it comes from gratitude. So Barnabas, Titus, and Paul meet with the leaders in Jerusalem, and practically speaking, Paul needs the affirmation of the Jerusalem, the pillars of the church, to acknowledge that Paul's gospel is the real deal. That's what he's doing. He's really going for an affirmation that Paul is doing it right. And so, and then look at verse 3. But even Titus, now this is, now they're in Jerusalem, Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. One of the most profound verses in the Bible. Paul brings not some abstract theological argument for reaching Gentiles, he just brings along a real one. Here he is. This is my ministry. Is he acceptable to God with faith alone in Jesus? He's a Greek. What do you think? And Paul is gone. He's come to the epicenter of legalism. The legalism that killed Jesus. The legalism of, of this, this, this city that had turned its heart away from the true and living God. And he, he had come, Paul comes back to the church in Jerusalem, which may have become highly influenced by Jewish cultural traditions. But even Titus was not forced to be circumcised. This is what the false teachers were teaching. That circumcision actually is required. So, this one who would, in terms of Jew-Gentile dialogue, would be unclean. Why, he's got to become more Jewish for us to have a meal with him. No, they had a meal with Titus. They had fellowship. They had unity in the one gospel. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom, and this was proof Titus was proof, Titus eating with Peter was proof that they had accepted Paul's ministry and these radical implications of the gospel. The Greeks do not have to become Jewish. That is radical. The Chinese can keep their dress, their food, 
many of their customs. If it is idolatrous, a culture is idolatrous, then that is to be challenged and to be rejected. But the cultural issues of Judaism are not to be transported across the borders into different nations. This is, this is great news for the Greeks. It's great news for the Norwegians. It's great news for the Hawaiians. It's great news for, it's great news for the cultures. It's great, it's great news for the world. You know that every translation of the Quran is corrupted because it is not in Arabic. You know that? Monocultural. Christianity is the true multicultural. When radical implications, if this Jewish legalism had taken hold, if if Christianity had become understood as a moralistic, legalistic religion among all the other moralistic, legalistic religions, it would have been tragic. This is why Paul is working this. He is putting his life on the line for this. He is writing the Galatians, this epistle. There's a lot at stake. What was at stake? What you'd really have is this. You'd have these strange two churches. You'd have this Gentile church that's struggling to understand what is the true gospel and trying to apply this or that Jewish custom, and and then they would try to be the pure church. And then you'd have the Jewish church down in Jerusalem trying to be the pure church and doing their versions of Jewish customs. And you'd have this split of Jew-Gentile churches. A lot is at stake. Titus was received. No second-class citizens. All the regulations, all the, the... cleanliness laws, all the laws that prove that we were unclean find their culmination in Jesus. He's the one who makes the unclean come in and it's through his body that we are made clean. Colossians 1.22 says that only in Christ can we be holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Colossians 1.22 Are you tracking with the flow of what Paul's doing here? He went to Jerusalem, conferred with them. These are the heavyweights. These are the the real influential people. He comes. They affirm his gospel, not only what he says, but the gospel embodied in Titus. And they have fellowship based upon the one true gospel. Cultural distinctives can be maintained but they don't do anything for a person before God. And it would have been, wow, a big problem if the Jerusalem leaders did not back Paul. So the false teachers have looked to cultural practices as the standard for righteousness. Okay, Cultural practices as the standard for righteousness. So... um, This was so significant that Paul had to receive a revelation from God. Go to Jerusalem. Have your gospel affirmed. Think about how concerned God is for unity in the church. It required a special revelation to the Apostle Paul in order for him to go. And uh, it would 
and it is always a tragic thing when Christianity is hijacked for some Jesus plus this gospel. Um, and this, this whole subject is really, I, I've been really working this, thinking about the implications for, uh, for many, many movements around the world in, in, in the Christian faith. But it, it is an awful thing when a person is not just directed to Christ alone. They're never fully free. They're never fully able to feel accepted by God. Paul had worked out the implications of the gospel for pagan cultures. The Jerusalem apostles didn't really need to do this because they're hanging around Jews all the time. It's very unique. Different callings, different ministries, different skills, different giftedness, but one unity, one unity that's working here. And uh, it would have been very easy for the Jewish church there in Jerusalem to come along and add to their church potluck. Uh, Of course we don't eat pork. Could be something simple like that, right? Now for us, we, us, Gentiles, we'd say, what a tragedy. <laughs> One of the most beautiful creatures that God ever made is a pig. But it'd be very easy for them to insert, oh, no, no, we don't do that. Oh, no, no, we don't do that. Oh, no, we don't. Oh, oh no, of course not, we don't. And then it just becomes the practice. It becomes a legalism. And Paul says in verse 4 that the false teachers were threatening the freedom we have in Christ, the freedom we have in Christ. Freedom from man-imposed laws. And so there is cultural freedom. This comes, these, some of these ideas come from uh, uh, Redeemer New York, uh, a book on, on Galatians. Uh, the gospel leads to cultural freedom. If your salvation depends on obeying rules, you want your rules to be very specific, doable, and clear. You don't want a rule like, well, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that, what does that mean? That sounds like I have to sort of walk with God and interpret that as I go. I, don't, I would like to have six rules on how to love my neighbor, and then I can feel good about myself, and I'm sort of checked that off the box. So it frees us from sort of this cultural baggage. And then secondly, it sort of gives us a psychological, emotional freedom Think of the endless treadmill of insecurity and fear you would have if you believe that your relationship with God is based upon keeping up moral behavior. Now, I want you just to really get this and uh, really get this. When I mentioned earlier in the service that Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, I want you to really understand that is present, active, continuous, falling short of the glory of God, and I'm doing it right now. All have sinned and continue to fall short of the glory of God. This means that even in our best obedience, it falls short of the righteousness of God. You need to say... The preacher needs a savior to save his sermon. You see? Are you tracking with that? It's very important. And uh, if you're offended that God's not accepting your good works, well, I'm glad you're here. And this might, you might have a breakthrough. 
It's okay. You see, if, you, if, if, if I or you, we don't grasp a grace-based motive to obey, we're in slavery. In fact, that's the word Paul uses at the end of verse 4. So that they might bring us into, do you see it there? Slavery. Now, I don't know what legalisms you might be under or what areas of your life you may take pride in. This is what I do as a Christian. This, therefore, makes me okay. If you're thinking that, you are a wonderfully nice person outwardly. I'd like you to be my neighbor, but you are enslaved in some way or another. You can feel it in the tension in your heart, in your mind, the anxieties, the worries, the, the sense of, I, gotta, I, gotta, I don't know, do I look, am I okay, am I okay, am I okay? The sense of, this, you kind of have a mirror over here. Am I okay, am I okay? And so I would encourage you, just drive home that Romans 3.23, I am not okay. That's not even the right question. <laughs> because I'm a mess. And I am always falling short of the glory of God. Therefore, God, what are you going to do with me? And then the next verse, this is Romans 3, 21, 22, and 23. It was a beautiful passage of the Bible. 3, 21, 22, and 23. God provides his righteousness. It's been revealed. And we get it by grace. And so the gospel provides this enormous freedom from cultural, societal baggage. And it's not that easy to try and figure out our cultural, societal baggage. It, it, it kinda, uh, it's interesting how we have to keep working at that. And so what are some ways that we add to the gospel? Well, here's, I'll give you a couple, couple ones. Um, do, any, do you find yourself with people who are in maybe socioeconomic, Situations different than yours, um, do you find it easy to accept them? Do you sneer at them? Uh, their tastes, their mannerisms, uh, what they do, might, you might think of it as tacky, or maybe they're snooty. Or, In other words, there's something about the person that you just, uh, I just don't hang around people like this. They're not, they're not my people, right? And I spend a lot of time just kind of being around people that are like me. It's easy to reject people who are on the other side of our cultural barrier. But it's an important question. When you, when you look at a person, do, look, look past sort of your preferences. Look past all that. And begin to see that this person is just like you in their desperate need for God's grace, you received grace. You were not rewarded for how you looked, the success you made of your life, what you did or didn't do to your skin. Did you pierce it? Did you tattoo it? Whatever. None of that worked for you. It didn't count for you. And so as you interact, are you realizing that, especially within the church, that's what I'm talking about, is that if God has accepted this person, now that's the big headliner, 
If God has accepted this person, what am I called to do? Well, do you say in your heart, of course, but? I mean, they're not, they don't eat, they, they don't eat organic. Or can, can you imagine the things that they eat? Oh, do, you, do you know what they, do you know, the, do you know how much mac and cheese our kids eat? I, I mean, do you know, I mean, do you, can you imagine, can you? And, and you begin to, you begin to work this thing. You're like, well, of course, but. And you, you know what the preacher's going to say, but of course, but. Well, I can't. That, I mean, you're not, you're not asking me to, I mean, yeah, forget it. They'll figure out that mac and cheese every day for their children may not be the healthiest thing. It's not an issue of fellowship. So we fail to accept others by sneering. We fail to accept others in church practices. Um, I had no idea, and this I'm not saying this pridefully, but I had no idea how important it was that the PCA uh, has an open communion approach. I had no idea how beautiful that was. When, when I first got on the PCA, I went, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And now it's years ago, anyway, oh, wow, that's huge. Took, my, took our daughters to my hometown, Redlands, California, looked up a church that was really good in this doctrine, and I was really excited to bring our, our family there on vacation, and here I am sitting in, in the pew, and uh, there's this laminated card, really clear, bright yellow. Right. Marianne reads it. She's a lot more with, better with details than I am. Like, what, is, what does that mean? That mean? So she hands it to me and says, read this. It's during the service. Basically, it says that you can only be a member of the church to take communion. That can't be real. I mean, it doesn't apply to me. You know, so I'm working this. And then then um, somehow the lady in front of us, and so the church service is going on. We're having, actually having a conversation during the church service with the lady in front of me. And she says, oh, yeah, that's real. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's real. And I almost had this Martin Luther moment, you know. Just like, <laughs> Where in Scripture? Are you telling me? This, this would be my argument, ready? that the Thessalonian Christian who travels over to Ephesus could not take communion at Ephesus. Is that what you're saying to me? That, oh, you're a Thessalonian and you don't subscribe. Oh, we... You ki- Are you kidding me? I call that, a, you've heard of seeker-sensitive churches or seeker-friendly? That's a seeker-hostile How about baptism? Do you know we once had a, a woman in the church here who had been baptized three times? I encourage her to wear a bathing suit to church. But um, <laughs> I mean, uh, there's a certain group in the evangelical church um, that they don't accept the baptism of a previous church, and so you have to get baptized again. So she'd been baptized three times, and we ex- she didn't have to get baptized here. Just let you know. 
So the message is that some churches are just sub-churches. Um, here's an interesting legalism, and I'll, I'll wrap this up. Um, in Mexico, um, in January, I was down there in our, our sabbatical, and interesting, uh, the Mexican churches that I visited, and one of the pastors took me aside, and he asked me, he says, um, one of the things that's going on here in this, these churches is that you really are not devoted to God unless you have an emotional experience in church. And, of course, you, you can observe this, that you can see people are trying to show how devoted they are to God, how repentant they are to God, how, how extreme their feelings are. And, and until they get to that moment... It's just—it's sort of like they—they they just haven't become—they haven't done what God requires of them, and there's a, a, a sense in which they're never really adequate before God because they haven't repented enough or well enough. And th- this pastor observed that, and we talked about it. And that—that's a—that's a not so subtle legalism that is sort of just caught. I don't even think it's taught. I don't know, but just uh, interesting. Some churches are so wedded to their music or language, their jargon, that they're not willing to make changes to consider the tastes and sensibilities of outsiders. Um, And so they have added a legalism or a distinctive Lord's Supper, baptism, emotions in church, and these function as markers of what a true Christian or how a true Christian can be known. So... um, Here's the principle, and then we're done. Fellowship with Christ is the sufficient and only basis for fellowship with one another. I want you to remember that Jesus was considered unclean. He was considered uh, one who could not dwell in the city, and he was run out of the city, and he was crucified on the town trash heap. He was killed because he was deemed to be a lawbreaker which he was not I want you to see what legalism does God's law is beautiful and God's law by faith is fulfilled by the Christian God's law is active in the Christian it's the rule of love among God's people But remember, fellowship with Christ is the sufficient and only basis for fellowship with one another. That's our standard for the Lord's Supper. You'll hear more about that in just a moment. Let's pray.